get into the notes. I'm sharing that too because the podcast then could be very different from the notes that are online. So if you're listening this from somewhere else uh, sometime next week or thereafter and you can't figure out why the podcast doesn't match the sermon notes, it's because we believe in the prophetic here. Come on at the City Life Church. So, hey, a couple of more things. One is that we've got this new series that's going to be starting next weekend. Steve Ruggiero is going to be kicking it off here for us. It's called Watch Your Mouth. You've seen the, uh, uh, the, uh, the graphic that's on there. We've got uh, cards that you can give to people, not just a reach card, but a, a card that introduces the series. Uh, but it's going to be a six-week series on the power of words, and I'm telling you, it's going to be an amazing sermon series. So Sharon Thomas is going to be in the mix, in the lineup, uh, Pastor Justin, Steve, myself, I'm telling you, it's going to be a powerful six weeks. You don't want to miss any of those. And then for, we're going to do a giveaway every week, every week that's connected to the theme of Watch Your Mouth. And so you've got to get connected into social media to be able to do that. So every week we're going to give you a question, and then you're going to put that on Instagram or Facebook, and you need to hashtag it, Watch Your Mouth, hashtag Watch Your Mouth, and then tag it at City Life VA. So for this week, this week is a single word that God has spoken to you at some point in your life. Just one, you got to pick a word. Just a single word that at some point God spoke to you that you needed to hear. Put, put that word out there. Hashtag watch your mouth and then tag it at City Life VA. And then we're going to pick one of those every week. And then we've got a giveaway that we're going to do on Saturday night. Does that make sense? You with me? All right. So, and we'll put that question out there as well. So, hey, we were going to do the uh, tag in the cars tonight, but obviously we can't because of the rain. So if you're not familiar with what that is, you know, we're doing whysaturday.com on our windshields. And, uh, and, and so uh, we have gotten an incredible amount of response from that. Over a thousand people have gone to the whysaturday.com uh, because of that. Uh, and then we've also had people that are just coming into the church because they're at a stoplight or they're, and then it's great because somebody sees it right in the morning and then they see it later on that day. And it's just, it's a creative way in our modern world to be able to say to people, get connected into community. And so next week, come ready for that. Uh, if, if, you're a, uh, if, you, if you prefer to not do the, the we, we'll bring spray paint to, to uh, get your cars that deny that. No, I'm just kidding. So kind of. All right. Hey, if you've got your Bible, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. I want to share out of this for a little bit, and then we'll see how far we get into the welcome weekend component. Ezekiel 37. The Lord took hold of me. Come on, I'm, I'm trusted that that's going to happen to some of you right now. There, there's tissues at the end of every aisle in case you need them. Come on. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. If you've got a Bible that you can write in, or if you've got a device that lets you highlight or take notes, then you should circle valley and you should circle bones. He led me away. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered. You should circle scattered. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. You should circle dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message, you should circle prophetic message, to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. Now that's an important distinction, so I'm just going to note that and we're going to come back to it. I will put flesh 
and muscles on you and cover you with skin, and I will put breath into you, and you will come to life, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me, and suddenly as I spoke, come on, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as a complete skeleton. Then I watched muscle and flesh formed over the bone and then skin formed to, to cover the bones, but they still had no breath. It's interesting here. We're going to talk about this. God said that he was going to do a whole list of things, but only part of it got accomplished in the first moment. You tracking with me? So then he said to me, speak another prophetic message. Pe speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds and breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me. And breath came into their bodies and they all came to life and stood up on their feet a great army. Come on, that's an amazing story. So this morning I got up and uh, I was, I'm starting to change the oil in my car because I, I realize I've not taught my sons how to, how to do that yet. And so I'm like, I've got to get back into the habit of doing it, and I've not done it on my car yet. So I said, I'm going to do it so I can really make sure that I'm safe here with jacking this thing up and putting the supports under it without risking the lives of my children. And so I'm out there risking my life and practicing, and I, I've got it all set up. And, and uh, I, I grew up in the country. We changed our oil all the time. But, you know, I've, as Vanessa reminds me, when I'm getting ready to go out to do projects in the yard. She says, don't forget you're an office boy. You don't, you don't live in Verina anymore. Just, just don't overdo it, right? And Which is good advice that I need to hear. And so I'm out there and, and, uh, and I get under there and I get the right socket out and I grab a hold of, of, of that, uh, that drain plug on the oil pan. And, and in that moment, I, I, I'm telling you, I think I heard it laugh at me. I've never heard something metal laugh, but I'm pretty sure it did. And I think whatever shop I took it to last and whatever technician worked there used to be in the World's Strongest Man competition because I popped about 40,000 blood vessels in my head trying to loosen that I have never, I'm 48 years old, I've changed a lot of oil in my life. I have never in all of my life felt a drain plug this night. And I'm thinking to myself, I, at some point I thought, I am literally not going to be able to do this. Well, you know, that kicks something in as men, right? You're like, oh, that's not going to happen. So I get a hammer. Yeah, that's what we do as men. We get a hammer. And so I get a hammer, and I've got my wrench on there, and even jacked up, right? I've got, like, I've got a, an older sob, and so it sits like this high off the ground. So even jacked up, I could barely move under there. And, uh, and so I've got it jacked up, and I've got a hammer, and I'm just wailing on my, my socket trying to loosen this thing up. And the more I hit it, I think the tighter it gets. So then I think to myself, you know, it's a, it's a European car. They do so many things backwards in Europe. Can we just agree to that? So I thought, I bet this thing is reverse threaded. Right? So I'm thinking to myself, so then I get out and get on my phone and get on there. No, nope, it's not. I really am that weak. So that's what I was hoping for a reason, right? And so then I think, I need some type of breaker bar to, to leverage this thing. And, and, and so I find a piece of PVC piping in my garage, and, and I get under the car, and, and it's too long. And so I get my chop saw set up. You know, I think my kids are thinking, I didn't know you had to use a saw to change the oil, right? Because tools are going, and 
PVC dust is flying. So finally I get it cut down just short enough to clear the tire. And I grabbed a hold of that thing. And then all of a sudden you, you just feel it move, right? And you're like, I have won, right? I felt like William Wallace in Braveheart. I had just freed a nation because I've loosened up this drain plug. And so, so I was able to go on from there and, and take care of it. I'm, I'm sharing you that story, and I think that happened today to me so that I could say this now. Sometimes it takes an incredible amount of effort to dislodge us from a place that we don't belong. Sometimes we find ourselves in life in a place, Vanessa didn't know I was going to share about this, so when she was talking about her worship wrap-up, it was like we had been in creative planning meetings for months. So sometimes we find ourselves in a place that we're not supposed to be, and we have struggled and tried and, 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 and put forth all of the spiritual effort that we have, and it seems as though this thing will not move. And that thing is you in the place that you're at. And that's why Ezekiel 37 is in the Bible. To say to you and to say to me, there are times in our lives where it takes God to move us from the place that we're at into the place that we've got to get into. But the role that we have to play is to position ourselves in the right place. Let me talk about this word valley that appears here in Ezekiel 37. Valleys were places in ancient times for war. They were places for battle. They were the places that, that, that armies would gather. As you read throughout the Old Testament, most of those battles took place in the valley of something or the valley of somewhere. I watched uh, uh, The Last Samurai last night. I've seen that movie about eight million times, right? I can't watch it enough. And so, right, there's a, the battle in the end of that movie. They're in a, in, a, in a valley. I'm watching that movie, and I, God speaks to me again. Make sure you share this word tomorrow. I'm like, All right, I'm going to do it, Lord. I'm going to share it. Valleys are places of, of battle, and I, I like how it starts with that because it's, it's, it's not just, the Bible's not just poetic, although it is. The language is instructive, and everything that God puts there is to show us something. And so he picks this word valley to remind us this is how the bones got there. The bones got there because there had been a battle and these bones belonged to the people who had fallen and had been forgotten. Many of you are in a valley right now in your life, in a valley that you don't belong in. You're, you're, you're in a valley because you've been fighting and warring and, and maybe it's a battle that you've been fighting in your marriage. Maybe it's a battle that you've been fighting in your finances. Maybe it's a battle that, that you've, been, you've been fighting for, for restoration of relationship with a child or a family member. Maybe it's a battle that you've been fighting, and it pains me to say it, but I know it's true. It's a battle that you've been fighting because it's something that happened to you in church. You were wounded or hurt or disappointed or you felt overlooked or set aside or maybe something tragic happened and the, and, the, and the character of the people that were leading were not what you thought it was going to be. Maybe it's the battle you're fighting with the demons from your past and the shame of your yesterday. Now, I say that this idea of being dislodged from a place that you don't belong, I'm not saying that to say that you shouldn't be fighting those battles. What I'm saying is that, that you're not supposed to stay there for the rest of your life. There's supposed to be a victory. There's supposed to be a, at some point, you're supposed to come to a place where you overcome. And the, and, the, and the story that the battle was fought doesn't change. This is part of the prophetic message that's in here in Ezekiel 37. How the bones got there doesn't change. It's the future of the bones that matters. 
God's not going to go back and erase the story of your yesterday, but He's trying to rewrite the story of your tomorrow. But you have to say at some point, God, I don't want to stay in this place. And there has to be a point in time where we come to our lives, we're willing to stand in a place of faith to say, God, I need what only you can do. We talk all the time here at City Life about the story of how Peter cut off Malchus's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane just before Jesus was arrested, and how that's a prophetic picture of sometimes the church in its efforts to heal wounds. So we, we talk about a lot of people walking around church like this because they're hurt from their yesterdays. And see, what happens when people get hurt in the valley and the battles of life, they become like this single bone in the sense that they isolate themselves. See, see in, in life, and you know it to be true, when you're fighting and struggling, sometimes the last thing that you want to do is be around other people. And so many times in our lives, we, we withdraw to a place of solitude, and that's the worst thing that we could ever do. I think it's, I'm telling you, it's a powerful image here that these bones were the fallen and the forgotten, and sometimes you feel forgotten in the place that you're in. You feel forgotten by God. You feel forgotten by the people that are around you. You feel forgotten by the people that you feel like should be caring for you. It's the emotion that comes oftentimes in the battle. In, in ancient times, when they, when the, the people who were fallen, they would take the dead off the field of battle and give them burials and honor these warriors. Families would oftentimes come out to the place of warring to be there in case their loved one fell, to take their bodies. This was a practice of ancient warfare. And so it's, it's the fact that these bones were here tells us something about these people. Nobody cared. They died and they were left behind. And they've been there a long time. Some of you, the battle that you've been fighting, you've been fighting it for a long time and you're tired. I, this picture in Ezekiel 37, I felt like God spoke to me that the, the imagery of the bones being reconnected together is a picture of the body of Christ. That oftentimes when we've been fighting and we're wounded and we feel forgotten and we feel like we've failed, we disconnect ourselves from the family of God. Sometimes we're disconnecting ourselves from the family of God because it's the family of God that's wounded us. And I think part of the, the, the story of Ezekiel 37 is that you have got to allow God to dislodge you from the place of isolation and distrust and offense and hurt and pain and shame and feeling conspicuous and allow Him to begin to reconnect you to other bones that are supposed to be around you. It's one of the reasons why 1 Corinthians 12 is part, talking about the body of Christ, is that you and I were created by God to be joined together in a spiritual sense with other people. Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about being joined together. And if you're here tonight because you're looking for a church to call home, whether it's our church or not, what I'm saying to you is you have got to find a church somewhere that where you're, you, your life can be joined in together with other lives. If you don't allow your life to be joined together in with other lives, then the work that God wants to do in you is not going to happen. It's part of the fulfillment of this prophetic picture as the bones were joined together before all the other things could happen. So God's got a part that He wants to play, but you've got a part that you've got to play. Now, I know some of you might say, Fred, you don't know what I've been through. I don't know what, I've been, what you've been through. You're right. 
And it might be that your journey has been tragic. It might be that, that, that you win the trophy for the most tragic story in the room. It might be. But that's why Ezekiel 37 is so desperate. That's why it, it gives us this, this imagery. The bones were dried up. They were, they were just, it was you. Because God is saying sometimes our situation feels hopeless. Sometimes our situation feels impossible. Sometimes our situation feels as though despair is the only word that makes sense. And what I would say to you, the first step in your journey of being victorious in your circumstance and situation is going to allow, is to allow God to dislodge you from the place of distrust and offense and disconnectedness and begin to allow Him to reconnect you again to other people to reconnect you into community. And as you begin to reconnect into community, you position your life for everything else that's supposed to happen in this text. It's a powerful picture, is it not? Not only were the, the bones dislodged from their place of disconnectedness, but they were put together supernaturally. Then there was flesh and muscle and tissue came upon them. And I love how God said that He was going to breathe life into them, but it didn't happen the first time. See, sometimes God gives you a vision for the victory that's going to come, but it doesn't come right away. You have to wait. That's part of what Vanessa was talking about. See, because God's not just interested in the victory that He wants to give you, that He definitely wants to give you. He's also interested in what needs to happen inside of you as a person because it's about who we're becoming. And so what happens so many times is people do these things that I'm talking about, that you begin to stand in faith again, you begin to forgive, and you begin to say, I'm not going to let my past define me, and you find a church that you can call home, and you allow your life to get connected relationally again with other people by joining a life group or serving in a ministry, not just being a person that comes and then disappears, but connecting with people. And then all of a sudden, your spirits begin to lift, and maybe there's breakthroughs that begin to happen, and you begin to feel changed. And then you know what happens so many times with people? After about three months, they go, whew, all right, I got what I needed. I'm out of here. Right? I think that's why two, two, two moments of prophesying had to happen in this story, is that there's always more that God wants to do in you. And if you don't stay connected to the family of God and the body of Christ, you'll miss the second portion. You, you, you might have, you might get from God in just six months what, what you need to not give up on life anymore, but God's trying to do so much more in your life than that. He has a destiny that He's prepared. Don't you like how this prophecy ended? It ended and they became a great army because great armies have a purpose. Great armies have a destiny. Their purpose wasn't just to get out of the valley. Their purpose was to go out and do in this world what God had created them to do. And you will never do what God has created you to do by yourself. You will never do what God has created you to do disconnected from the family of God. You will never accomplish everything that you're supposed to accomplish unless you allow the bone of your life to be connected in a, in a very personal way with other people. And if you let God begin to do that in you, and this idea, let me just say, this idea of allowing your life to be connected to someone else isn't about superficiality. It's not. Because you can show up and say all the right things. You can go to the life group and, 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 and say the things that you think that, that people want to hear. 
You, you can put on the, the face and the pretense, and you can, people can do that for a long time. That's not what I'm When I'm talking about being connected, we're talking about being authentic. We're talking about being vulnerable. Now, I know it takes time to maybe establish that kind of trust in people, but when it comes, you've got to be willing to let people into your life. You've got to be willing to let them ask you the hard questions. You've got to be willing to let people challenge you. And you might say, and I get it, Fred, that's where things got sideways with me last time when I got involved in a church. And what I can say to you here is that we're not a perfect place. We're not a perfect place, but we're people who are authentic and we're people that you can trust, and we're people that are going to love you no matter what your story is. Because we believe that you have a purpose and a calling and a destiny, and we want you to find that deep relational, uh, authentic, transformational connection that, that you're desperate to find. So you're not the dried up, withering, disconnected bone in the valley of your battle that you've, maybe you've been for the last several years. There can be a new day, and there can be a new hope. Father, we thank you we thank you for this prophecy that you've given us in Ezekiel 37 and for, for whoever that's for tonight. Father, even if it's just for one person, we say let it be every weekend that, that we would push the pause on what we feel like you've spoken to us as a plan and to let you have a work in them. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together. Amen. All right, I'm going to jump into this message a little bit here. Let me just say one, let me, let me just do two, two final thoughts. We, we do believe in the prophetic here. We do believe that God speaks, and that's part of, I think, what Ezekiel 37 is. So whether you choose this church or some other church, find a church that you feel God's living presence when you're in there. You feel His living presence like I trust that you're finding it. So let me, let me just wrap up with this one comment. Tomorrow morning, we're going to be meeting at the, at the bank right here on the corner, or Old Point National Bank, I think is the name of it. It's the bank right on the corner at 10 a.m. to do some uh, do door hangers uh, in a neighborhood over behind CNU. And, 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 I've been, and that's when I was praying for that, that God began to speak to me about this. And then I realized it was just more than that, is because our city is filled with people that we've just talked about. And so you might say, I'm not a big fan of door hanging. I don't care what you're a big fan of, right? Because what you should be a big fan of is helping people. You might say, well, I'm a naturally introverted person. Now I'm going to say, so am I. Let's get over ourselves, right? There are people in our city, if we don't go out after them, they're going to stay where they are. And that cannot happen. It cannot happen. We're going to be doing these door hanging events for, for, and, and, and mailers. We, we're just, we're starting it and we're not going to stop doing it because we believe that there are people in our city God's calling us to reach out. So 10 a.m., we're going to meet there and then we're going to drive together and go to a staging area and then we've got the door hangers. It just takes about an hour. It just takes about an hour. You, you'll be home for the kickoff. Can I just say that? You'll be home for the kickoff because when you get to heaven, point my finger and nod my head. You know what God's not going to ask you? <laughs> What'd you think of that game open today back in 2015? <laughs> He's not. But you know what he might ask you? He might say, you, might, you didn't know this, but let me tell you a story about how someone's life was changed because you took an hour of your day to love someone in Jesus' name. Let's live for those stories. All right, come on. Matthew 13, 52. We're going to get to some of it. I know some of you are thinking, I hope he still ends on time. I hope so too. <laughs> All right, so, 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 so let's do this. What, what are some things that make your house unique? 
Meaning that when I'm at your house, I know that you're, I'm at your house and not at my house. What, what are some things that you would say make your house unique? Some, something that makes it different. Chris? No shoes in the house. No shoes in the house. I like it. I like it. Somebody else? Somebody else? Anybody else over here before I move away? Sammy? Crazy what? Crazy barking dog. And you're not talking about your father either. No, okay. All right. All right. Tara? Nothing matches. That, and, yeah, nothing. Zero. All right. All right. I can't see. Competition trophies. Competition trophies from doing a little weightlifting? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Pictures on the mantle. Pictures on the mantle of family? Family members on the mantle. Turkeys. Like real live turkeys? Real live turkeys. Real live turkeys. And they have names. So the fact that you named them, does that mean that you won't eat them? Okay, all right, good. Absolutely not, she said. I like it. Omnivores. Yes, ma'am. Lots of dog fur. Lots of dog fur. Yeah, somebody else. Shani? A spiral staircase. A spiral staircase. Nice. I like it. Somebody else? Somebody else? Organized. Organized. Yes, everything has a place and everything in its place. Okay, all right, all right. It always looks like we just moved in. It always looks like you just moved in. Ten years later, people are like, did you just get here? No, we've been here. That's awesome. Has wheels. Has wheels. Oh, that's all right. That's right. I like that. Alabama everything. Alabama everything. Smell. Smell. Good smell. Good smell. Okay. <laughs> Laurie's like, clarifier, clarifier time. A faux fireplace. And a metallic gold stenciled wall. He used to be an art teacher before he was a principal. I don't know. He's got game. 128 inch screen. 128 inch screen. Nice. He's going to be handing out his address for after, for the game tomorrow. After we get back from door hanging, we're going to Travis's house. Here. No TV. So we're not going there for the football game tomorrow. No TV. Let me, let me read you. Let me read you this. Let me read you this statement. We want this house, talking about the City Life Church, to look like his house. So whenever we want something of ours to look like something of his, we turn to his word for instruction. See, when, when we're in the church, we should be able to say the things that you just said. That God's word is full of things that, that, that we should be able to say, I know that I'm at the house of God, the church where He is because, and fill in lots of blanks. And so one of the things we're committed to here at City Life is to say, what, what does God want His church to look like? And let's make sure we're decorating His house with these things. And that's why I like Matthew 13, 52, because in this tiny little verse, sometimes and, and we, we push past it too quickly, and there's so much in there. And so I'm going to just kind of do a little introduction of it, and then you can go online and download the notes if you want to do a more exhaustive study. The notes are all there. Matthew 13, 52, and said, And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. It's one of the most literal translations that exists. That's one of the Bibles I use when I'm doing my most intense kind of study, when I'm looking for specificity. And so I'm reading out of the NASB now. Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of household who brings out of his treasures things new 
and old. Now we've taught on this before. It's, it's oftentimes it finds our way into our welcome weekends because there are four hallmarks that we believe are here for the house of God. That's why the context is a person coming out of their house. And it's the idea that they are a house of disciples, right? It talks about going from a scribe to a disciple. They were, they're a house of disciples. They're a house of owners. They're a house of new treasures and a house of old treasures. So let's just talk just for a minute about this idea of being a house of disciples. So in 2 Timothy 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 19. It says, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows who are His, and all who belong to the Lord must turn from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure... You will be a special utensil for honorable use, and your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Paul is drawing a contrast here. You can be in the house. It doesn't mean that you belong to the master. So, so that idea that we talked about in Ezekiel 37 about showing up and allowing your life to be connected to other people, that's only part of it. You also have to allow your life to be connected to the Savior of the world. And I, and I like this image that Paul's creating here as he's writing his young protege is that, that you can be in the house, you can show up, but have, have, have you yet to take the step of letting God be in your house through a vow of devotion to Christ? See, we want to be a house of disciples, not just a church that's filled with people together because they want to see a show. We want people that are coming because they're hungry for the grace that only Christ can give. And some of you have made that vow of devotion to Christ. For some of you, that's yet to happen for you where you've taken your first spiritual breath. And I'm telling you, if you keep coming, there's going to be a place that you get to where you say, God, I want all of who I am to belong to you. You're still in the house, but now you belong to the master. We want to be a house of disciples. You're going to learn if you keep coming, if you're visiting with us over the next three weeks during the sermon time, Vanessa's going to be teaching a class that we call Discovering City Life. And after the worship set, you'll have the opportunity to be dismissed and just go in a classroom. And we embed it into our service so there's still childcare for you. It makes it easier for you. And, and, and we're going to talk about our journey for discipleship. And we have a specific strategy for how discipleship takes place. From the moment you make a vow devotion to Christ, and then the journey that you commit yourself to. It's based on four numbers, the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. And if you want to learn more about that, then you can come to the Discovering City Life class that starts next week. Come on. It's going to be good. I, I like how it talks about a house of owners. Now, I'm not going to go into this in great detail because we talked about this last week, right? We talked about the church is not a cruise ship. We talked about five callings. If you weren't here and you're visiting, you're trying to figure out the church, listen to last week's podcast, our Welcome Weekends, broken down into part one and part two this year. And so we talked about five callings that we have as, as a church. We have a work calling. It's not a cruise ship experience. This is a working vessel. There's, there's something for all of us to do. And it's reiterated here in this text. It talks about the own owner of the house. When you go to a church, you should have a sense of, this is my church. I have a responsibility for its well-being and for its upkeep and for the things that need to be accomplished. And I challenged you in six pathways. Again, I want you to check that out if you weren't here, but we talked about the work of gathering, reaching, praying, generosity, relationship, and serving. And we've got 12 pathways that we talk about. Again, we're going to teach on that in Discovering City Life, but those six are an important part of the work of a church calling home. 
I made this note of this. If your life was a parable that God would write, how would it end? How would it end? And I want mine. I know it's not going to be perfect. I know it's going to be filled with mistakes, and I know I'm going to have regrets. But at the end, I want the parable to be one that celebrates the one who gave his all for his Savior. Let's talk a little bit about new treasures and old treasures. I love this little verse in Matthew. New treasures and old treasures. This is where churches get in trouble. Is because they want every new treasure to become an old treasure. And this is one of the reasons why I believe this verse is in the Bible. Every new treasure, everything that the church is excited about, everything that the church is passionate about doesn't necessarily mean it's supposed to stay that way forever. And it's one of the reasons why churches don't make it from generation to generation is because they don't do a good job of distinguishing between what's a new treasure and what's supposed to be an old treasure. So let me, let me just give you an example of some new treasures. But let me, I'm going to point you. I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to send you there. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. Or again, you can download this on our new website. All the notes are always there every week. John 20, 17, verse uh, 17 to 18. John 20, 17 to 18. This is where Jesus has, has raised himself from the dead. He has an encounter with Mary, and, 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 uh, uh, and, and he says to her, don't cling to me. And in some Bibles, uh, render it, don't touch me. But really, it's, in the Greek, it's don't cling to me. And what he's saying to her is that, that, that you can't live in our past together. We have a future together. And, and for some of you here, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and you're living in a place of saying, if, if I could just go back to the 70s, whew. If, 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 if I could just live in the place where I was three years ago, See, Mary had a reason to want to cling because she walked face-to-face in person with the Savior of the world. So she had a right to say, how could you going be better for me? Because that's what Jesus said. It's good that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. She had no concept of what that meant. She just knew how good it had been. For some of you, you're living in your past. You're living in your past and your pa- because your past was good. God wants you to have a future. He wants you to be willing to maybe make some changes. He wants you to be willing to say, I don't need the church to look like it did 20 years ago because what the church looked like by way of new treasures 20 years ago didn't have anything to do with why you were thriving then to begin with. It had to do with the underlying principles that drove it. For some of you here, you, you, you say, I can't, I, I like it here, but the music, I just, I just, I need a little as the deer panteth for the water every now and again. <laughs> If we could just do shout to the Lord in rounds one Saturday, I'm telling you the altars would be filled and great revival would break out. Worship is an old treasure. The kind of music we use is a new treasure, and it has to change. We say for us, music here at City Life is a generational tether. Our music belongs to our young people. We had our chance. And if you didn't have your chance, then you can take that up with the Father when you get to heaven. But we're not going to sacrifice the chance you want at the expense of the generation that's coming after us. Come on. If it's a little bit too loud, there's earplugs at the sound booth. Put them in. Put them in. We, we, there has got to be some things in the church that are for the generation that's coming behind us. And our music is one of them. 
Worship is the, is the old treasure. The kind of music that it is is the new treasure. Times and locations of services, ministry focus, technology and, and, and media, all of these things, right? They're, they're things that we might be doing in the present for today, but, 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 but those are things that are treasures now, but, but it might look different in our tomorrows. A church should be a place of constant change. And, and, and what happens is people, they latch on to something that they're passionate for and they don't realize it is a treasure that's not going to be a treasure forever. And then all of a sudden that becomes the thing that they, they hitch their wagon to, so to speak, and then they end up in a place of just being embittered. Let's not be that church. Let's be a church that says, what's the new treasure and what's the old treasure? And we have some old treasures as a church. Let me, let me share some of them with you. We're always going to be a church that's running hard after the undevoted, the disconnected, and the discipled. The undevoted, the disconnected, and the discipled. We want to be a church where all of those people feel like this church is just for them. The undevoted are people that have never made a vow of devotion to Christ before. The disconnected are people that have made a vow of devotion to Christ, but they've been hurt by the church in some way, and they, 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 they're having a hard time trusting in community again. We want to be a church that helps them rediscover the community. And the disciple. For some of you, you, you've been walking with Christ from the day that you were born, and your story is one of the keeping power of the Holy Spirit. And we want you to feel like this church is yours too. And that's why there's so many times in our, in, our, in, our, in our sermon times, we go really deep, and sometimes we preach longer than, than other people. And you might say, I'm just checking out church. This idea of 50 minutes, it's a little over the top. I'd rather just have 15. But people that have been walking with Jesus for 20 years, they're like, 50's not enough. Give me an hour and a half. You with me? You, you, the, the, our church is going to, should feel like it's yours no matter what place that you're coming from. Couples are at their best when they're serving in ministry together. Doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes people's giftings and talents are, are very far removed, and, and, and so there are exceptions, but it is the exception here at City Life. We want couples to serve together in ministry. We want couples to serve together in leadership. We want couples to sit together on teams together. Churches become a terrible place of fracturing families, and it shouldn't be that way. Where, where families find their lives in these parallel spiritual tracks and there's never any crossover and all of a sudden the church becomes the mistress in the home and that can't be. So we have an old treasure. We want husbands and wives serving together at the City Life Church. We don't believe in any gender ceilings here at the City Life Church. And you can just add to that. Ethnic ceiling, socioeconomic ceiling. Come on, ceiling is determined by giftings and callings. We believe in team-based decision-making here. It's an old treasure. That's never going to change. We want groups of people making the weighty decisions because everybody has blind spots and everybody makes mistakes. You've heard me say it before. This idea of councils of advisors that's moving around churches today is a very dangerous thing, I think. It's this idea that the, the, it's, a, it's kind of a restoration of an Old Testament. The pastor is the, the, kind of the prophet of the house, and they get the word of the Lord. And I, I'm just telling you, I, I, I'm going to stop just short of saying that it's wrong, but I'm going to tell you that it's dangerous. There should be people in the church where the pastor has a sense of responsibility and accountability. Our governance team here, I have a permission-giving relationship with them. And they're also my closest friends, right? Those two things have to go together. 
But I'm accountable to them. There's not any questions that I'm going to answer to them. The depth of accountability and the stuff we work through as men together and the stuff the ladies that they work to together, it can be uncomfortable, but that's how it should be to be safe. I just can't show up and say, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. No, it's, it's, it's I have a responsibility to get a vision from God, but then I submit that vision to that group of people. And then we say, is this just because Fred had pizza before he went to bed last night or is this really the word of the Lord that's speaking? We believe in team based decision-making. We believe in financial objectivity and transparency. I'm telling you, every year when we do our business meeting, people believe in, leave going, I cannot believe, I cannot believe the kind of detail that you give. Some of you leave going, I would really prefer a lot less detail because that's a lot of numbers, right? It's shocking to me how long people will stay in churches without knowing anything about how the money's spent. I'm like, who does that? Most people. Most people is the answer. So we put together an annual report. We do an open mic. You can ask questions. I'll tell pastors, they go, you do an open mic at your business meeting? Are you kidding? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And it's one of our best meetings every year. We believe in transparency and objectivity. All right, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Let me give you three more old treasures that we have. We believe in the goodness of God. We believe in the potential of people, and we believe in the centrality of church. We believe in the goodness of God. We believe in the potential of people, and we believe in the centrality of church. I'm just going to give you a verse for the first two, and then I want to talk about the last one. Psalm 27, 13, you can't be at this church for any amount of time and not hear reference this verse. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. No matter what our circumstance is, God is always good. And, and, and when you get a revelation of His goodness, you will find hope in your circumstance. 1 Samuel 16, 7 is a verse. 1 Samuel 16, 7, it's a verse that's dropped into the story of Samuel identifying David to become the next king of Israel. There is nothing about the physical stature of David. There is nothing about the story of David that would cause other people to say he's supposed to be the next king. If you've never read that story, you should turn into 1 Samuel 16, begin to dig around in there. Even Samuel, the prophet of God, was confused working his way down the line. Surely this is going to be the next king. And then all of a sudden, this little shepherd boy comes running in from the field, and God speaks to him and says, that's the one. I'm just, we believe in the potential of people, that people walk through those doors, and you might look at them and say, well, they are a mess. And I look at them and say, oh, the potential that's in that life. God sees where you are. He does. He's not naive. But He sees the place that you're supposed to go to and the person that you're supposed to become. And then He leads you into a church that's going to love you graciously but challenge you unapologetically. Exodus 12, 4. Oh, I like this verse. I'm telling you, the Bible is so rich. Exodus 12, 4. I got two sermons tonight in in 45 minutes. <laughs> Miracles never cease. Exodus 12, 4. So the Israelites, they're about ready to be set free from Egypt. It's the night of the first Passover. And this is the instruction that's given. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, right? They're supposed to sacrifice a lamb. They put the blood on the doorpost of the house so the death angel will pass over. That's where this idea of Passover comes from. 
and, and nothing was supposed to be wasted. They're supposed to eat the whole animal. And it says, if the family's too small to eat the whole animal, then let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. So, so the question that I want to leave you with before we step into this moment of worship is, is how big does this crowd need to be to rise to the measure of the size of our Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If, if you've ever wondered whether or not churches are supposed to be big or whether or not churches are supposed to be small, that, that's for God to decide in the end ultimately what happens. But can I just tell you that every church is supposed to have an appetite to be bigger than it is because of this principle right here in Exodus. In Exodus. Even if there were five times as many people in this room that were in here now, it's still not enough for the table that the Lord has prepared for us in the measure of God's grace. I'm just saying I'm going to live my life, no matter how big this church gets, or no matter how small it stays, that I'm going to always have a vision for it to be bigger because more people need to sit at his table in his house. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, I pray that people would feel your presence like some of them maybe have never felt it before or maybe some like they've not felt it for a long time. I pray that tonight would be the night of their breakthrough. I pray that tonight would be the night where they would resolve in their heart, I'm going to allow my life to be connected once again. That tonight is the night I'm going to believe God. In spite of my circumstances, I'm going to trust that there is a victory that he can bring because of who he is and what he can do. Father, I pray that this time of worship and this song that we step in here into now, God, will be a declaration of faith for what we believe that you're going to do in our tomorrows. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.